1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of RevCovery. This is episode 23, which is just so cool. Uh, very excited to continue to do this work. My name is Justin, and my co-host is Sarah. And I just want to hang out with you for a second at the top of the podcast, just to say that we are both former pastors who left ministry for different reasons, but we are passionate about helping people figure out what they're doing in ministry. Maybe they want to transition out. How do they do that? Maybe they want to stay, but how do they approach the work in a way that will keep them in it and satisfied for the rest of their lives? It's quite a task and we are certainly up for it. This week we have Janice Legata on the podcast. Janice is a fantastic creator. She is a fellow irreverent media person and she hosts a podcast called God has not given. So make sure you want to check that out if you like what she has to say today. She was also a former, I wouldn't say she was a pastor. She was a former super volunteer, a full-time volunteer, if you will, uh, Hillsong. And her story is fascinating and sometimes tragic, but ultimately just a story of someone who continued to do the work and has now found a place for themselves. And we love talking with Janice and you're going to love hearing Janice. So yeah, excited to share that with you. I just want to just say for a second, if you want to continue the discussion uh, with like-minded people, please go ahead and check out our Patreon. There'll be more details at the end of the conversation and make sure you stick around for the weekly poem. All right, without further ado, here's our interview with Janice Legata. Let's hop in. It is so good to be able to host one of our fan, uh, friends today. I almost said fans. You're not one of our fans. You are one of our no, friends. I though. am. I'm both. I mean, I mean, mutual. I'm both. It's a fan. Know. A fan friend. A fan friend. Uh, Janice, we are so excited to host you today. Um, and as always, we just love to start with like kind of what, how many years did you serve in ministry and, and where and what positions have you held? Ooh. I mean, if we're talking about serving time, I feel like I was I was born into it. And then I guess for my own crimes, I did 12 years hard, hard time at Hillsong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 12 years hard labor. <laughs> some unpaid labor there. Truly, truly. Yeah, I did four and a half years in Sydney. So my Hillsong journey started started in Australia. I'm at the college and then moved to New York just in time for the beginning of Hillsong New York. And so was part of that from 2010 until 2017. So you were there during like a lot of the uh, big years. So what led you, if you don't mind me asking, I remember 
Hillsong College in Australia just being the place that people wanted to go. I will admit to wanting to go myself. They had really handsome Australian men come and promote it here in uh, Orange County. And I was just like a brand new pastor. And they're like, there's this place. And I'm like, where all of you gather? Tell me about this place. (laughs) And, you know, just deep V-necks, just here for it, telling us about. So what made you, because I'm guessing it wasn't the V-necks. I mean, it might have been. But (laughs) what what made you think that Hillsong in Australia, like what what about that uh, college was attractive to you? Um, No, it wasn't the V-necks that got me. It was the music. As someone who grew up in choirs and on worship teams and you know, in a church that was very much when it came to any any kind of creative gifting is like that. That's for the Lord like that. That can only be used for God. So trying Ooh, to point. figure out the best way, the best way to do that. And Hillsong was pretty new on the scene then, like early, early 2000s. But they were taking over the world. Like this is the darling check shout to the Lord era. And so <laughs> uh, we should have put a trigger warning on that one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> because everyone that grew up in that era right now is shout to the Lord. Yeah, it's like it just, you just, you just, it, it just happens. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And if and you didn't, you have been spared. <laughs> if you don't know what you're talking about, what we're talking about, like don't Google it. Don't. That's an it's earworm like an, that just oh. buries itself into your soul. And, you ain't and then you're out. at a stoplight and it's 20 years later and you're like, oh, the earth, let us sing. And then sometimes you option up alone. <laughs> no one else. Just like a one finger. Yeah. Mountains, mountains. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you were a musician, but more than that, right? So what did you serve? So you went to Hillsong in Australia and you studied. I don't under what are, what kind of a credit? What? What courses does one take at Hillsong? To be a so, Hillsonger. Yeah. So I was part of the, the worship and creative arts stream. When I went, I think, I think there were only, I think there were only the three streams. So it was worship and creative arts. It was pastoral leadership and then youth leadership. And so everything Hillsong, else, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's enough. That's Those all you the need. pillars of the church right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, no, there's no, there's no accredited accreditation. Like it's, it's, you can get, you get the diploma or the cert for, so it's like these Australian. You do get a piece of paper. You get paper. You get a piece mm-hmm. of paper That's with your name on it that said you, yeah, yeah. Well now, now, but at the time, like any churches loved Hillsong qualifications oh yeah i mean it was uh, we joke around about the music but it was infectious and it was everywhere and it was an opportunity particularly for those of us i think who were mainline and you know hymns were what we were offered and that was great but also just didn't have that same connection we felt like and so it i 100 percent, as much as i'm joking about v-necks i 100 (laughs) percent. i think i would have gone because of the music and because as, as someone who loved music so much and and other spaces as as much as Hillsong may not have been offering like theology and that kind of stuff, other spaces weren't offering creative arts as a way to connect uh, to the divine and with the divine and with people. So it, like it had this beautiful like outside of the norm and it was new and it was fresh and they were using music with, you know, instruments we recognize and it just felt super connecting. I feel like I, I'm, I'm not yeah. surprised that at 
the quality of people actually who did the same and ended up as your classmates. But after your, it was it three years? How long is the program? Um, you can go from one to one to three years. So I went with the intention of just doing one and ended up staying for, for three. Um, so I did, I did all you can do at Hillsong College. Okay. So you were like doing recording. Cause I know you, you're not just a actual musical artist yourself. You also record folks and you're, this is me. I'm going to butcher what we would call this. But you do, um, you are a sound engineer in some ways. Yeah. Like you do that kind of stuff and you learned it all. Yeah. I did, but not a Hillsong. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. sorry, like, Hillsong. Yeah. Yeah. We used to, I mean, even when I was there, we would, we would joke about how like, at the graduation ceremony and stuff. They would always pull out and they'd have like a, like have like an orchestra and here's this person playing this like great violin solo. And like people had those skills before they came like Hillsong. <laughs> I think when I left, mm -hmm. When I left, they had just started having like a music theory class, like oh, okay. basic. They're like, you were not learning. Like you learned, you learned Hillsong culture at Hillsong College and you learned the, the Hillsong way of doing things, but they didn't teach you any, any useful, practical musical skills. Okay. Okay. And so then you are sent out to a church. Is that correct? They're like, New York is about to go off. You should go there. Um, no, because we didn't even know. We didn't okay. know it was coming. And I wasn't, I am a, a black woman. I was not sent anywhere by Hillsong. Ooh. Like Hillsong had no, they didn't care. They had no future plan for me. They did not, did not care. So I left, I left there knowing that I couldn't go back to California because if I wasn't at like my old home church, it would be an issue. So I was like, I just have to not be in California. And I had a friend that I met at the college who was from New York and I had gone to visit her. And I was like, oh, I love it. Broadway's there. They've got music there. So that's <laughs> Broadway's there. Yeah. They've got, they've yeah. got music. They probably they've got have music, music, music people there. And then how did you help with launching the New York one? And if, if you guys don't know much about the whole song, first of all, are you under a rock? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what have you been doing with your time? And you're probably happier if we're honest, but no, uh, no. How are you so lucky? <laughs> <laughs> how are you protected? So tell us a little bit about kind of how you, yeah, how you kind of got to work at Hillsong, what your job looked like and kind of, cause that's a lot of years to be in a position. Yeah. So I moved, moved to New York in October, 2009 and maybe a few months before me, this couple, Jess and Reed Bogard had moved to New York I had known them just kind of just really casually at Hillsong College. And so they were planting a church. And so it wasn't it wasn't going to be Hillsong, but I knew it would be Hillsong friendly and Hillsong-esque. So me and a friend of mine, we joined like their little connect group like in December. And then Hillsong has their Vision Sunday every, every February. So that February they announced, oh, we're going... We're, you know, first, first United States, you know, outpost. We are, we're going to be planting a church in New York. And, and I was like, oh, that's probably, this connect group is probably going to become that or at least be absorbed into it. Because like these people, there's no way they're going to be competing with Hillsong. And yeah, within a week or two, they're like, yeah. So this is now the Hillsong launch connect group. So just happened 
happened to just be part of it. Was that kind of from day one? Tail wagging the dog there, where Hillsong found out there were Hillsong people in New York, and they were, or was it just happenstance? No, I'm sure now it was all they knew what they were doing. I'm okay. sure it was all yeah. all strategic. Hillsong <laughs> Hillsong doesn't do anything by accident, and I'm sure they had had their eyes on all of all of these plans for a long time. So, so yeah, just got caught up caught up in that. I thought. Like at the college, they had pretty quickly, you know, removed any any aspirations of me being like a worship leader. It was like, I just do not, I just don't fit fit this scene and that's just not for me. So I ended up serving, serving on the stage managing team in in Sydney. And then when they were starting the church here, I was like, well, I mean, we don't have that many people. So I might have a shot at like this worship leader thing, or at least being on the worship team. And Nope. <laughs> You're like, oh, we know that's what you would like to do, but here's what the Lord needs. So oh, that's a fun. Flip. Oh, uh-huh. yuck. Was that a racial thing? Was that a personality thing? Like, why was it consistent that they were like, mm, we don't want you on stage? I think all of the above. Mostly, mostly initially, probably just a racial thing. Like, I just do not fit the mold of of what a standard Hillsong worship leader looks like. And then as a black person, like I don't have the gospely black boys. Like they like a very particular sound. You didn't you didn't have the caricature of a black person in their mind <laughs> that they could put on yeah. stage and be like, here's a reassuring black, black person. person. <laughs> right. Like, I was not not white and the wrong kind of black. So oh, man. they're like, yeah. we just don't, we don't know what to do with you. But you know how to stage manage and we need that. So I became, yeah, just the leader of the stage managing team. Mm-hmm. From... Was that position paid? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd ask. No. So I was doing that. And then once they started connect groups, they were using like the studies from Australia, but like it didn't really relate to anything here. So I was like, well, I'm a writer. I can write the connect group studies. And so for a few years, that was my job writing the studies they would use across, across the East coast. From that, one of the pastors was like, Oh, sometimes, you know, when you write a study about one of the messages I preached, I'll go back and like, take, take some of your notes and change, change my sermon. So I was just thinking like, why don't we just kind of do that up front? So can you help me, you know, help me with my sermons? So I started ghostwriting for him like it just it initially it was just like punching it up so just like writing jokes for him and switching some stuff around writing to be clear writing jokes for sermons yeah yeah writing and then then it got to the point where he'd be like oh i want to preach about faith and i have i want it to be you know this three-point sermon and i want the points to all start with f or, or whatever and i have one <laughs> can you can you give me two more or here's what this is about. And can you find the scripture references for this? And so it just became where you were just writing sermons. If we're honest, Sarah and I, both of our faces are like, (laughs) someone could have done that for us. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? What? (laughs) I mean, I did have a group of people and to this day, it's my favorite thing that I ever did. My last position I had, a group of people who were all theologically trained, but no longer wanted to work in that environment. And we would 
I'd bring him over here. We'd have some wine. I'd sit down and be like, here are my notes. What do you do? We do like these round robins. And it was so fun. But I definitely gave him credit. And I definitely wasn't like, hey, could you make everything rhyme with banana? And um, like, I just can't imagine in some ways having your voice silenced and yet used. Like, yeah. like there you are not allowed to be on the stage. You got to manage that stage. And then writing for the people who are on that stage. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And you're and if, really funny. If people haven't checked out your work yet, guys, we'll get to that. But trust me, you're going to want to you're going to want to check it out. There's a reason you were tapped to write jokes. I know like, in New York where it feels like everybody's good at that. <laughs> yeah, she was writing New York jokes, folks, not like Columbus like, jokes or, you know, whatever. Like she was writing New York jokes. Uh, well, New York Christian jokes. So it's, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to help you out. an aggressively specific <laughs> genre. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> um, and eventually like I did just from virtue of, of being a stage manager so I was in contact with Carl Lentz a lot so he for whatever reason he liked me so we had a little camaraderie and eventually I did I did get I did make it on the worship team like as one of the thanks Carl yeah yeah as one of the backing vocalists so I was I was on platform. So yeah, so I was stage managing. I was part of the worship team. I was writing the connect group studies. I was ghostwriting for sermons. <laughs> yeah. That just sounds like so much work, but some, part of it was paid. No, no, none of that. Hold the phone. Everybody pause and stop. Never. None of that was ever paid. None of it. No. Okay. <laughs> Justin needs a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I thought at some point you started getting paid. Wow. No. This is, um, uh, yeah, I'm so, I'm so sorry. That's well, and that's a, that's an area that we have been starting to. So a lot of people have been joining our discord who are not former clergy, but former volunteers, because within certain structures, being a volunteer at the church is, they even use the word staff. And guys, I was, oh, I went to so many conferences that told me I should start using the word staff so that I could set expectations of my volunteers that you would for a staff. Think about like, what is that? It's already setting up to not pay people to do work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was volunteer staff. Like I was, I would go to the staff meetings. You would go to staff meetings. Meanwhile, you're working. What job did you do on the side of this non-job that you had? Yeah. Full-time admin assistant for a, for a little hedge fund. Just, you know, no big deal. <laughs> hedge fund. <laughs> Do I know what a hedge fund is? No, I do not, guys. I do not know what that is. Do I know what a hedge fund is? No, no. but you can admin the hell out of it. <laughs> I, I, I actually think most hedge fund managers don't actually know what a hedge fund is. I mean, conceptually, is. I kind of know what it is. I, I know some words uh, that are involved in that. So what became your breaking point? Because people don't know Carl Lentz. He is actually worth a Google. That guy. <laughs> wow. Uh, talk about just like confusing human in some ways. Like had some had some interesting pushback to some of the culture and yet then was also that embodied literally embodied that sort of theo bro cool glasses which like mm -hmm. if that's you you do you but there yeah kind of talk about what was sort of the because you had to have loved it enough to work so hard for so long like, it's so hard now to kind of get back into that mindset because it all just seems insane. It's like, what, what was I doing? And part of it is just like, you just, you just get into these routines and you don't even notice 
what you're doing anymore. Like this is, this is just my life and this is just what I do. And, you know, you're in church all day on Sunday. For me, I was writing the connect group studies on Monday. On Tuesday, I had my connect group. Wednesday was like the midweek service. Thursday was the worship rehearsal. So creative night Friday, I didn't have anything, but they had like the college age. So they had like the block they had, they had stuff to do Saturday. They had like street teams. So some people were doing it. So it's just like, there is stuff all the time. So you don't, this is your life. These are the only people, you know, what else, what else would I be doing with my time? Really? So for me, it actually started, started pretty early. There was a guy who came, he came from Hillsong college and they like put him on platform immediately. And he was so bad. And so that made me start, start pushing Carl. And I remember like sending this email with like fear and trembling, but being like, Hey, like if we, if there's room on the roster, maybe next time I consider a woman or a person of color, like, cause like if this guy is just allowed to get up here and be bad at it. Then clearly we got room on the roster. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We've dipped into the bench. <laughs> yeah. So can we, you know, can we consider that? And so he, he wrote back and he was like, Oh yeah, I'd love that. So like, let's, let's pray for God to send, you know, the people who can do it. You're like, here I am, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send me. <laughs> no, right. I've prayed about it. And, uh, God, God sent me to you to have this conversation today. <laughs> but at that point, like I was so, you're so gaslit and you're so used mm -hmm. to all of these kind of, kind of feedback loops. Like even when I, when I decided to kind of take that on and I said, okay, I'm going to ask him about this. Like I immediately, I I have to take myself out of the running because it can't be about me. It can't, you know, cause they're going to turn it back on me. I mean, well, check your heart. Why do you think you should be able to do this? you know why because it's not us we're not choosing people like we're just choosing who god who god says so you know so i had to take myself out so i'm like well i can't it can't be about me i can i can never stand up here and say well i could do it because who do i think i am so can't be about me so then that just that that just became me and carl's relationship me just kind of pushing him on on women and on, on black people. Like we gotta, we gotta diversify things here. Like you're in one of the most diverse cities in the world and this platform is so white. And so he, I feel, I feel bad now. Cause I'm like, Oh, he, I don't think he ever had any intention of changing anything. I think all I did was help him kind of learn how to trick the system. Um, because even now people will still be like, no, like Carl Lentz, he was so cool. He he would say Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, yeah, he did, but they didn't. Like not not in his church. Nothing, nothing changed. Yeah. And, you know, especially at that time, he got so much attention for that because he was the only one saying it, but he wasn't doing anything. And yeah. That's... You used a term that I think is a little bit, especially for folks who are listening, who you know did a lot of volunteering or whatever it might be, uh, the spiritual gaslighting, this idea of using God as like, <laughs> even earlier, you said something, you said, check your heart. And I think about the number of times that's been used as almost like a violent block that then you like immediately stop thinking like, where, how did I get here? Like, how, right? Immediately it's my fault, right? And so throw into that, like being a woman in those spaces, being a person of color in that space, like 
to be gaslit, it's almost like you're in crazy town. And how did you ever start questioning the system? Because, yeah, you're right. You did start questioning the system in the very beginning. But even yourself, you can admit, like, but I still believed the the narrative in some ways. Yeah, that trap of, like, I can make this better, which is... Like, for other people is my favorite one that I... That's my favorite virtuous Sarah Heath uh, moment where I'm like, this may not be good for me, but I can make it better for other people. Like, mm. can you explain sort of your dismantling of that? Because it, it wasn't just you, right? There were, were you people talking? Like, were you guys, I know that they talk a little bit about this on the documentary, but were all you guys talking to each other that were going through all this stuff? Or was it more that you were afraid that you were going to hear check your heart? I think like we all, <laughs> we all talk now and we were talking towards the end. So in 20, 2016, there was a mass exodus of of a lot of like key black people in 2017 so after the election and just kind of all of that a lot of us had had enough so a lot of us had started kind of having conversations in 2016 but before that like you were just first it's like okay I see the problems here so I see it so maybe that that's part of my job here Right. Like this is this is for me, for me to fix this and to fight to change it. And Rome wasn't built in a day. So I got to give him time to to do whatever. Oh, man. Like, yeah. I'm feeling this so much because of his. I, I, obviously, I'm I'm a guy. I'm white. But feeling that too in evangelical spaces of like of like I can make this better for other people. I can I see these problems. This, must, this is why God put me in this awful place right spiritually gaslighting yourself is another fun thing that you i don't know if both of you can relate to this but i there would be times i'd be like well this is why god has me here Mm -hmm. but it's it's not it's separated and it's hard to explain when it's not you but it's separated from like at your actual feelings does that make sense i don't know if i'm saying that well but like you you're like oh this is terrible but i can't let this be terrible so i have to use spiritual language to like justify it not to the world, to myself, like, oh, you know, when I don't want to be here, when I wish I'd been making better paychecks, it's because I clearly there's something broken in me. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're trained that way in a weird way. There's something broken in me that thinks I deserve more than this. And even now, uh, people will call that out in me be like, why do you think you're not worth anything? I I got a, I got really underballed on something recently, like on a a thing I was going to do in the amount that people were going to pay. And I used some of that language of just like, yeah, but who am I to like, I'm so lucky that they would consider me. And they're like, you're a professional with 16 years of experience is who you are. But you don't know how to do that in the space, right? So here you are. You're starting to have those questions. Another fascinating thing I think Justin can, well, we, I think we can officially say it. 2016 rocked the boat. I mean, I think we all knew that. That was the most under, like, yes, obviously, Sarah. But I mean, people, most of the people that we talk to, that is the moment when they said, I cannot anymore. Yeah. So in the lead up to that. So, yeah. So I'm gaslighting myself and I have to have to be the change. And then it got to a point where it's like, oh, I don't think it can change. But I've got a stage managing team. I've got a connect group. I've got people. I can see now how badly people are being treated. I've got this connection with Carl Lentz. So I have, I kind of have recourse so I can at least take care of my people. And so then it was like, well, I can't, I've got to be the buffer. Like I can't, I can't let these people have the full Hillsong experience. So I've, I've got to stay here. 
And then I don't even remember why, but I like, I just started like declining, declining being on the worship team. So I wasn't saying no to that kind of scheduled myself out of stage managing, like, you know, raised up new leaders so they could have it. So then the last thing was just my connect group. And then like my girls just started, started moving away, started going to school, started like the group just started breaking up. So I like shut it down where I was like, well, I'm not taking in any new people. So I kind of let go of this. So by the time, by like the summer of 2016, I was pretty, pretty free. And I had started, I had started leaving Hillsong. So I just wouldn't go for a couple of weeks, but then I would miss it. So I would go back. And then First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. What would you miss? Just me. I was getting ready to ask that. Yep. Sorry, sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. Go for it. I don't even, I think just just the service um, and just probably the music. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the preaching. And I guess just being with, just being with people in that setting, because I didn't have, again, <laughs> nobody really has time outside of Hillsong. So if you want to see your Hillsong friends, it's going to be at something Hillsong related. So I would just, yeah, I'd miss it. And then I would go back. And now I think I, I think it was just more like an addiction, like you're just so used used to this thing and it's not that you particularly enjoy it because it wasn't it wasn't the preaching it wasn't like I miss any of these leaders but it's just like oh my week just doesn't feel in rhythm feel right yeah something yeah something's off yeah that is that is such a hard I'll just say the word drug because I can't think of a different word but it's it's a well it's a hard thing to kick like humans we like routines we like predictability we like the status quo when this is just, this is just being human in the world. And, you know, we have, we have people that are leaving now and in, you know, in our discord and, and, you know, listening to this podcast and, and that when you've begun to associate so many feelings with God, quote unquote, like you start thinking, Oh, I'm missing church. That must be God, you know, or, or you like to gaslight yourself important. and then you're like, Oh, well that must be God, you know? And so I guess maybe talk, if you can talk through the process of trying to disentangle that, like these normal human urges towards the status quo and your friends and things and disentangling that from the divine. (laughs) And I mean, just sum that up for us real quick, Janice. Um, (laughs) If you could just explain all all of the cultural (laughs) ramifications of leaving your community. Go. Yeah. Well, part of it, like I had to, I had to separate God from Hillsong. And, and a lot of that, all of that came from, came from the issues with 
with equality, like not seeing women being platformed and not seeing black people being platformed and eventually having to say, okay, I've gaslit myself enough. I've talked myself out of it enough, but I'm really, it's still bothering me. And I'm really concerned about this. They don't seem to be. So one of us is wrong. And I don't know, like maybe God doesn't care about this stuff. And so, so I had just started doing so much reading and just so much research and just looking into things. And then I was like, oh no, I do think, I do think it matters to God. And so it doesn't matter to them. And, and I remember, I mean, I was already, (laughs) I was already on edge anyway, but I was, I can't, it was between services and there is, there were these kids who like, I had known them from, you know, six years at that point. So it was his brother and sister, these biracial kids. And the brother was like, he like knocked the hat off of his sister. And so I'm just joking. I'm like, oh, like, you know, you never touch a black woman's hair. And the little girl, she was like, I'm not black. I'm brown. Like, not black, not black. Uh, And I was just like, uh, oh. And not that, and it was just like, oh, like Hillsong isn't doing this to her but nothing here is helping, is helping this. And so I was like, oh my goodness, like I would never want to raise a child in this environment. And if it's not good for a black kid, why it's not good for me? Like, this isn't healthy. I can't. Oh, that's beautiful. It's like you almost saw saw yourself in that child. Yeah. Yeah. That feeling of like, wait, I want to protect this child, but I don't know how to protect myself. And, you know, a lot of good therapists will tell you to talk to yourself like a child or maybe just my therapist guys maybe it's just mine um, mine frequently like, asks me like when i describe a bag of feeling like how old are you when you feel this feeling mm. like oh about three right right and so it's i love this beautiful um painful metaphor where you're like it's if it's not good enough for her it's yeah. not good enough for me it's not yeah. good enough for me i i think that's one reason why my last position was a youth pastor position because i was I was on the trajectory to, I actually had a couple, you know, senior positions that I kind of lined up and I, I was kind of in that questioning phase too. And I think I eventually took that position because I was like, I need to protect kids from Mm. the adults, which that's going to set you up to be fired later. Just spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. If (laughs) If you think you're there to protect other people, then you're probably in an environment that will not keep you. If you're getting hired by a church and your shadow mission is to protect kids from the church, that's not going to work out. Red flag. But like, that's, that's such a powerful motivator to be able to key into. I love that. And yeah, I think, yeah, figuring out if you can in the moment, those breaks between yourself and the church or the break between yourself and what you're doing. You don't always know that till the end. But I think it's it's a big it's a gift for sure. And then you started you started integrating like this. So after that, you you've sort of moved away. When did you start being sort of public about your critique in this space? Because I remember even before we started working together in Reverent Media, like knowing your well, it was funny, yes, but it was also really profound. So when did all of that start for you? Um, it actually started pretty soon because I left. So I, and I've been joking with some friends lately, like, we'll, we'll be talking about Hillsong. We'll tell these like awful stories. And then this awful thing happened. And then I immediately left three years later. Like, <laughs> I was so enraged. 
for three years. <laughs> right. So even me, I'm like, oh, I have these moments and I know I have to get out of here. And then uh, I still stayed. And so I, it was Black History Month and like we had had this big meeting about how we're going to do things differently. And then Black History Month was like, it came and basically went. And then like the last weekend of Black History Month, Carl was like, oh, we should do something. Can you write, can you write a poem and like perform it? you know for this weekend so I'm like yeah all right so I did that and then he would he would just throw it in my face all the time after that he'd go oh like I, I gave you this awesome opportunity and then two weeks later like you bounced and I'm like, true so I just stopped coming and again I expected you know I'm just taking a few weeks off and then An unpaid position yeah <laughs> yeah okay, I just want to keep reiterating <laughs> the unpaid position part and yeah. you, I'm assuming you paid to go to Hillsong School. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, tithe, tithe faithfully gave offerings, like did, did all the things. So I left. I stopped going in March. Thought I would miss it. And I didn't. And then I came back on Mother's Day because a friend of mine was speaking because that's when women speak, right, at Hillsong. Mm. So <sighs> I went back and I was like, oh, oh, I'm done. I don't miss it. I don't. I don't feel anything. So then I, from May to July, I was trying to set up a meeting with Carl because I'm like, so many people have left and they never say anything. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you why I'm leaving. We're going to have this conversation. And he just would not, would not meet with me. Was and he so, busy during that time? <laughs> just kidding. No. If you guys don't know, Carl Lentz led a double life. So he did not have a lot of extra time. <laughs> oh, no, he had too much extra time. All he had was time. <laughs> yeah that's that's part of the problem yeah yeah so he wouldn't meet with me and then I had I had a cat that I'd had for 16 years and he died and so I kind of took that opportunity I was like well they're gonna know I'm having a hard time with this so I'm just gonna go on and write this email to Carl and say everything I've got to say and he can't he's he's gonna be a dick about it but he can't be too much because we're having a hard time here so that's when I know like when my exact leaving date was. But then at the same time, I had been working on this book of poetry and I like finished the first draft of it like that that day. And so that was my first first already starting to kind of critique the system. And like I look back at it now and I'm like, oh, there's so much stuff that I still still was really holding back and was still really, really reverent and really worried about, you know, honoring and being respectful and leaving, leaving well, you know, all of, all of these things. Um, Once again, leaving a job that you are not paid for. Keep going. <laughs> Is it a job? I am. <laughs> Can you call it a job? A sentence. Like a job. My sentence. <laughs> yeah. Trying to, right. Trying, trying to really impress the parole board, right? Like just really hoping guys, the Lord yeah. will, will be impressed right. with me. Yeah. Um, so, it, and so I'm sorry it's so wild like evangelical theology is so like Jesus paid it all you don't have to do anything but if you really want God to love you <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna volunteer 40 hours a week you're gonna do it you're gonna do everything yeah you're gonna do it yeah. all so I left and I met with Carl wouldn't meet with me but I met with Tulu Batters who's the C COO and she and I you know we were in the launch connect group together where we were friends she's probably the person i still feel most most conflicted about I'm like what how how so we we met up 
she met with me and she's like, oh, like I feel, I feel like Carl feels like you're, you're not going to find what you're looking for. We're doing better than anyone else on all these other issues and you'll be back. So we're not even, <laughs> we're, we're not taking this seriously. Like you'll, you'll be that back. That is literally what an abusive spouse <laughs> You can try to find someone who's better for you, baby. <laughs> but yeah. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. Oh, no. We're laughing because it hurts. <laughs> yeah. It hurts so bad. Like, yeah, we've, I think we've all probably had that, that conversation in some form. Right. Like, yeah. You'll be back. You'll be back. Yeah, like that stupid king in Hamilton. Like, <laughs> that song was so triggering for me because it's funny, but it's also like, mm, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of church people that are singing that. Oh, no. Totally yeah. They'll you'll be, be back. back. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Say, so, oh, you'll be back. Um, I'm like, Ouch. Ah. Talk about gaslighting. I don't think so. But I guess we'll see. Because, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know what was out there. Like, as long as your whole world, you, you really, you don't know. And so I was just leaving, leaving blindly and hoping. And I did find, find another church that was doing better on like the racial issues and, and gender equality and all of that. So I joined that church plant. So I spent another, another year in church, but then they, <laughs> they failed miserably when it came to LGBTQ issues. And, and something about that just finally, I just, I was just sitting there when I was like, oh, like, I don't, I don't have to do this. Like, I don't need to come to a church and hear somebody's thought of the week on the Bible. Like, I feel like I have enough, I have enough theological background. I can read the Bible for myself. Like, I don't, oh, I don't have to go to church anymore. I don't have to do this. And left that church and haven't been back. And, and through that, like I said, I'd already written that book of poetry. I had written, I started writing this series of, of one act plays about, about just like black women in these white evangelical spaces. Mm, yeah. And so, you know, at that point, it really was just, just my friends who were supporting me did not, you know, God is not given, had not been born, did not have this platform, but I'm so thankful for that time because it was so great because it was it really was just me learning how to use art and learning how to use my voice to tell to tell these stories and to get over a lot a lot of that fear and and a lot of that honor honor culture to where now I'm like oh no I don't care. It's so funny because on the other side of it, the word honor it it like I almost feel like it repel it repels me. It is just sort of like. The moment somebody needs to ask me to honor them is the moment I'm like, you probably shouldn't be honored. <laughs> like right. the moment, like the moment it becomes a rule instead of like something that you freely give of yourself to like, oh, this person, I want to honor this person. But it, you know, I want to. I always think of all the meetings that we all, we've all, we've all been in these. I just want to honor your time. <laughs> like I hear, I hear that, I'm like, I cannot. I I need to. I need to not. What would you say? I mean, you've been through it. And your creative process, which is both compelling and funny, like I mean, your your skits on Jod or uh, yeah, so good. What would you kind of say to someone who's like, yeah, I've been in a system where I'm gaslighting myself. I've been gaslit. I've volunteered all this time, and Sarah keeps laughing about not being paid, and I feel like she's laughing at me. And um, we're not, by the way. I just know that even in my system where we had no money for staff, so I had to ask so much of my volunteers, and I. 
to this day apologize all the time for I hate that I burnt you out. And, and the recognition for me was just like, I can't do more than I'm doing. And so if we're going to keep this thing going. But what is the, or is there anything you can kind of suggest to people, whatever it might be, to sort of move into this space? Because I would say you kind of have a healthy, a healthy sense of like, okay, that was hard. What would you say would be like the, I don't know, just suggestion for people who are listening and this is hitting them in a difficult way? I mean, I think, I mean, I would say you deserve better. Mm. And, and a lot of times it helps me to think about, to kind of take myself out of the equation. Like, what, what would I say to a friend? What would I say to, to a kid? Like, like a lot of times we, we take on stuff and, you know, it's, it's the evangelical guilt and it's, and it's whatever. And it's me knowing everything about me. And it's like, no, I probably deserve this. It's, it's fine. And I can take it, but I don't want this for my friends. I don't, you know, they don't deserve this. And so like, sometimes like treat yourself like, like a friend, like. Or like that little girl. Yeah. What, what would you, what would you suggest for someone you love? And you, you deserve that too. I love that. Yeah. Almost looking at if, if you were, if you knew someone who is spending so much time on something and, and it is beautiful to want to volunteer your time and there are wonderful things to volunteer. And I would say there are some churches that it is wonderful to volunteer your time for, but really ask the question of like, are you honoring God or are you honoring the like system in some ways? Right. And, and that gets confused and nasty and weird. And is that system something that's honoring you back? Like for that little girl, like, I just keep thinking that she just didn't know parts of herself because knowing parts of herself would be problematic to that system. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for giving us so much of your amazing time. I just want to say that everyone needs to check her stuff out right now because when I say that it'll be profound, it'll be funny. I feel like a weirdo sometimes because we repost so much of it, but we're friends. So it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Just thank you for the work that you do because I feel like you're giving a voice to people or or like allowing people to hear from themselves in a deep way that they're not prepared to hear. So thank you for all that you have done. I enjoy it. Have a good time. Can you can you tell folks where to find your stuff? Yeah. And where so, you would like to be found? Yeah, where would you like to be? <laughs> What's your address? I'm just kidding. What's your mom's maiden name and last four of your social? Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like sorry i've given that to all the, the text scammers um, <laughs> so none of that information is good anymore ask ask instagram about god has not given and yeah god is not given on instagram god is not given.com you'll find me and whatever whatever i'm into at the moment and you'll never go back. <laughs> Friends, what a give. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're enjoying the conversations you hear on recovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in what's known as the recovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to be a part of this community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and that gives you access to the community resources, as well as it helps us to be able to produce the show. Check it out on patreon.com slash revcovery. 
Now we know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are so many ways you can support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you are currently listening and make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Rev Recovery Room is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and that's our handle. So come find us and let's keep the conversation going. Another live event is coming up and we want to meet you face to face. Our friend Trip Fuller of the Homebrewed Christianity Podcast is throwing what can only be described as the ultimate podcast party. And friends, you are invited. Come to Theology Beer Camp, which is a three-day theological podcast beer nerd fest. So for $50 off your registration, please make sure to use the code REVCOVERY. You can come thirsty, you're going to get nerdy, and it's three days of theological zest. Who doesn't want to go to this? It's October 13th through the 15th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And again, don't forget to use the REVCOVERY code because that's going to get you $50 off. And then we can finally meet face-to-face. On to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Hey friends, thanks for sticking around for the weekly poem. Every week, Sarah or myself will share a poem or just something interesting. Maybe it's a quote that goes along with our conversation for the week. And we find that poetry sometimes, even if it can be sometimes weird or misunderstood or just odd, I think that poetry sometimes has a way of working on us and a way of shifting our perspective. And if you are a minister or a Christian or ex-evangelical or whatever you want to call yourself, and you are asking questions and you're not sure where you're at, uh, shifts in perspective are needed. So anything we can do to help you with that, we will. And so that's why we read poems at the end. So this one is by Mary Oliver this week. Mary Oliver is a friend of the pod, patron saint of the podcast, if you will. Uh, She is quite lovely. And this is a short poem of hers called The Uses of Sorrow. So here's how it goes. In my sleep, I dreamed this poem. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this, too, was a gift. Friends, whatever you have been given, and many of us have been given boxes full of darkness, may with time and healing, and therapy, podcasts, friendships, may you understand at some point that that too was a gift, and it moved you to the next thing. Have a good week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.